You're listening to AOA, Agriculture of America. This is Mike Pearson, and you can rely on us for the latest farm and ranch news from around the world. Informing America's farmers and ranchers, this is AOA, produced by the American Ag Radio Network. Now, here's your host, Mike Pearson. Hello, ladies and gentlemen. Thanks for joining us today for AOA. It is a special day. We are coming to you live from Washington, D.C. We are here with our friends from the National Corn Growers Association for their Corn Congress meeting here in Washington. We're going to talk about the past year working with the monthly grind here on AOA and highlight the successes that corn growers have had, not just in the United States, but around the world. We're going to kick things off here with two of our friends. These are regular guests on the program. We've got Troy Schneider and Denny Vinacotter, both with the Market Development Action Team. Troy, we're back in Washington, D.C. What's going on? Well, we're here to discuss issues with uh, corn growers from across the nation. You know, Mike, it just seems like a year ago and we kicked this off with you on the monthly grind and it has been exciting. I think we totaled up nine members of market development, some board members joined us. It has been fun to be on the radio with you every month. Well, we've enjoyed having you on. I love highlighting the next uses for corn, these new generation demand models that are out there. And Denny, we're here, Corn Congress, lots of folks in DC today talking corn. What's on everybody's mind? Well, a few issues uh, as far as like ethanol uh, and E15 fix, uh, expanding trade, there's the issue with Mexico that we're still dealing with and that. So there are a few of the things that we're talking about. And Danny knows, I think about those issues. They are ag specific. They are farmer specific. When you, when you try to get the word out about those kind of issues, what makes having something like this so crucial? Why do you like to tell the story to a bigger audience? Well, we are such a small percentage of the population. And a lot of people, even back home, don't quite understand what's all going on. And, uh, and we come to the Hill to try to express that to our legislators and representatives and that because they don't quite sometimes understand what's affecting us back on the farm. That's true. And there's a lot that can impact farms across the country. Troy, you're here today. How many different action teams are meeting here at Corn Congress? At National Corn Growers Association, we have seven action teams. So you've got about 13 members, grower members, um, producers on each team with state and national staff there. That's going on Monday, yesterday and today. Then tomorrow, Denny referenced our Hill visits. We'll go up on the Hill, visit our representatives, our co congressmen, our senators. Then on Thursday, we'll have Corn Congress. So every state has a certain amount of delegates. We come in, you know, the more corn you grow, the more the delegates you have. A smaller state like Colorado, we may only have one, but we're still a seat at the table. We get a voice. Uh, we'll have elections for corn for the corn board, and we'll take care of business then. So, you know, the the action teams give advice, give direction to the board, so the board can move forward on important issues. These action teams are such a great function here at National Corn Growers. Denny, you've been involved with the market development action team for many years. What was it about that team that that made you want to serve? That made you say, "This is something I want to be a part of." I, I think market development's always cool because you know you're looking for that next use or that next next country that might start using more corn and stuff like that. So that's what really uh, opened me up, and, and and that's why I want to be part of that team. And so you've been serving, you've had the opportunity to have these discussions and tell these stories, Denny. Are you excited to keep working for uh, new uses of corn going forward? Yeah, because there's always a future. I always think down the road, you know, what what we've done in the past, and and you always got to think a few years down the road and what's what's on the horizon. That's what it all comes back to, and especially, I think, with that market development action team focus. Troy, when you think about what's on the horizon for new demand sources for corn, what has you excited as we sit here in the summer 2023? Well, we could talk about sustainable aviation fuel. We can go back to you know, consider corn challenge and the new usage that we have coming in, the ideas, the innovation, but then we can take it back to livestock. So we're talking about market development and that's, you know, what, what we represent. I think that takes up what we just say in the meeting, 65% of the portfolio, maybe even more than that of the corn demand demand, you know, cause we've got the livestock, you know, you take ethanol out of it. it's basically everything but ethanol. 
and but we have the DDGs that come back in, so it, that becomes a very huge factor. And we have to, you know, the the exciting part is yes, we get to look at new things, but we also go back to the people, you know, that have been long term partners, our livestock industry, and how do we strengthen those relationships? How do we make sure that uh, we get more beef across the ocean to other countries? How do we get more poultry across the ocean? And uh, and how do we increase demand just here in the good old United States? Trey, when you mentioned those, those partnerships that NCGA has been able to put together to encourage this demand of livestock. Denny, you've seen a lot of those here over this past year in particular. Can you think of any real successes that MDAT has had working with other commodity groups? Well, I think the relationship we build with MCBA, uh, even the pork board and that, it's them are longtime customers, very good customers to corn. They use a lot of our corn in that. So it's always strengthening that relationship with them. Uh, I, I think it's a big, bright point in what we do. A big, bright point, right? You agree, I'm guessing. Oh, yeah. Yeah, you know, um, to to have a little humor in the conversation, when you look at the por the poultry industry, that's kind of a tough egg to crack. When It's, <laughs> it, it's just structure different. So, but they, you know, when I came on the, the market development four years ago, there was a board member, a team member at that point. He said, why are we not funding all of our livestock at, at an even level. Well, it's because one livestock industry was coming to us with more ideas of how to be involved. And so we took that as a challenge. The staff, um, Michael Granche took it on himself too, as far as how do you reach out and how do you get those ideas? How do we take ideas to them? How can we be more involved with their and their associations? And so we've improved on that. We've built those relationships. And no, it's it's just interesting to set back and, you know, no, we're not, as somebody said earlier today, we're not necessarily seeing a truckload of corn go down the road. But when we see the the the, the cattle being finished out or maybe the, the hogs being shipped, we see corn being moved down the road. That's right. Every cattle pot is also a corn uh, truck as yep. well when you think about it. Denny, as, as you look ahead to this next year, of course, there's a tremendous amount of opportunity for corn growers, for leadership here in this space. What's got you optimistic as you look out to the rest of 2023 or or beyond? I just uh, always thinking of where are we going to go next? I think of the next generation coming into farming, you know, where what opportunities will they have uh, to create them opportunities so that they have some of the opportunities that I've had. And, and uh, I always thinking about what can I do for my sons back home coming into this operation, what to, to make new opportunities for them so they can have just as good a career that I've had in this. That's fantastic. Troy, if we've got listeners who want to get more active, they want to learn about the Market Development Action Team, where can they go to do that? They can go to the NCJ website, ncj.com. They can look at that. They can go to their state association website, whether it's a grower association or their checkoff. You know, we have 23 checkoff organizations that are affiliate members here in the United States. We're with NCGA and 26 member states. So either way they want to go, it, it, we'd welcome anybody. Everybody is welcome. That's a great story there, folks. We've been talking with Troy Schneider and Denny Vitacotter from the Market Development Action Team. Leave it here. We'll have more from Corn Congress in Washington, D.C. when AOA returns in a moment. Hi, this is Mike Pearson. You're listening to AOA, Agriculture of America. Don't go away. More AOA coming right up. We have some exciting news to share. The National Corn Growers Association, along with AOA, are heading back to Washington, D.C. for the monthly grind. Tune in on Tuesday, July 18th for our special one-year anniversary episode. I'll be broadcasting live from Corn Congress in Washington, D.C., and we'll be reflecting on the year and what's ahead, along with current priorities of NCGA's Market Development Action Team. Make sure to listen to AOA on Tuesday, July 18th. It's a show you don't want to miss. 
Did you know that pork is the world's most consumed meat? Pork comprises over one-third of all meat consumed. Pigs were domesticated over 9,000 years ago in 7,000 BC, and there are more than 180 species of pigs. Why pork? Well, it's not just because everybody loves bacon. Historically speaking, pork is a very easy meat to preserve via smoking, curing, or salting. Not only could it keep well before refrigeration, but it also tastes great under various preservation tactics and adaptable to a variety of flavors, spices, and dishes across differing cultures and regions. There are twice as many pigs as there are people in Denmark. Did you also know that China is the world's lead pork producer? In 2020, they produced an impressive 41.13 million metric tons of the meat, which equates to almost 91 billion pounds. So the next time you dive into that plate of bacon, know that pork is the world's most consumed meat. These farm facts brought to you by the American Ag Network. At YMCA Summer Camp, kids find their why. Friendship and fun, a world of adventure beneath a golden sun. Running, laughing, full of wonder. Being themselves is second nature. Summer Camp is where they begin to unlock the confidence that lies within. When kids find new passions, they find their why. Summer Camp season starts soon. Learn more at ymca.org for a better us. Through the years, you've really kept up with the times. You're on social media. Like, like, dislike, block. Maintained your health. 10,000 steps. I'm a beast. You even programmed your own smart home. In 10 minutes, remind me that I'm a genius. In 10 minutes, I'll remind you that you're a genius. If you can do all that, you can definitely save for retirement. Just go to aceyourretirement.org, a free online tool sponsored by AARP that can help you get on track with your retirement savings no matter your age. At aceyourretirement.org, you'll meet Avo, the friendly digital retirement coach. And in just three minutes, get personalized recommendations to help boost your retirement savings. They're easy to understand and work with your lifestyle. It's quick, easy, and free. Plus, it's brought to you by AARP, so you know they got your back. You are a genius. Take charge of your retirement. Go to aceyourretirement.org now. That's aceyourretirement.org. A message from AARP and the Ad Council. This is Mike Pearson. Thanks for listening to Agriculture of America. Join me Monday through Friday for the latest farm and agriculture news from around the world. Keeping America's farmers and ranchers informed on AOA. Now back to Mike Pearson. Welcome back, ladies and gentlemen. AOA continues today from downtown Washington, D.C. with our friends from the National Corn Growers Association. We're here for Corn Congress. We're talking about all aspects of corn, domestic and international. And that's the focus of this next segment. We've got two experts joining us. Krista Swanson, the lead economist for the National Corn Growers Association, is here. Krista, thanks for taking the time to join us today. Yeah, good morning, and thank you for having having me on. We're looking forward to having this conversation. We've also got John Linder, Ohio farmer and current president of the International Maisal Alliance. John, thanks for joining us today. Well, thanks for having us, Mike. I, you know, I'm glad to be more than 40 miles away from home and can be an expert then. <laughs> <laughs> got to get outside your zip code every now <laughs> and do. again to be an expert for sure. I want to talk to you both about the developments in the corn crop out of South America. We've seen big gains in production down there over the past several years. Chris, I was hoping you could kind of set the stage. What sort of production numbers have we seen out of Brazil and Argentina from, say, the last two, three years? Yeah, so um, Brazil has grown as a producer and as an exporter over the last uh, you know decade or so. And uh, looking at this year, um, Brazil's on track to produce uh, in in the July WASDE report, they were projecting 133 million metric tons, um, and so uh, you know that's up from last year. It's a record production level, and you know I think as we look ahead to next year and, and what this means. I, I, one one thing that I'm paying attention to is USDA is projecting that to fall back a little bit uh, next year. Um, it'll be interesting to see what happens. But, uh, you know, as we think about the dynamics coming from there, you know, while Brazil's having this record production, we're still talking about our 2022 crop for this marketing year in comparison. They're still harvesting the rest of their production for that year. But we have to remember back that our, our production was was down uh, because of drought and, and particularly in the West and areas of the South. Um, so while they're having this record production level, 
uh, we had a drought reduced production for this year. Yeah. So globally, we've seen that trade back and forth. Brazil's up two years ago. We had the massive drought down there in the, yeah. uh, the Southern Hemisphere early in the year. Last year, it was here. John, we see more and more interaction between American corn growers, Brazilian corn growers, and Argentinian corn growers. And I understand that's who makes up Maisal. Can you tell us a little bit about what this group is that you're the new president of? So the Maisal Alliance between Brazil, Argentina, and the U.S. as a decade-old effort in the real primary purpose of this organization is to really try to do what they can to get timely approvals for the traits that we use here in the U.S. They also use in Brazil and Argentina, representing 50% of the world's corn production in those three countries and 70% of the exportable corn. And we're all using the same cultivated practices to raise that corn and the same tools. That's what we're telling the world. That's interesting. So Maisal isn't an association designed to promote demand necessarily. We're not out driving corn sales. It's designed to make sure we've all got a uniform playing field uh, regulatorily. Is that correct? That is 100% correct. We really have to be diligent in those conversations on pol policy because if we can't get approvals for the, the tools we want to use in our production, can we market that corn everywhere? And we all have that same issue. You know, we're facing a little bit right now in Mexico. It's near and dear to those folks as well. But they really aren't after that market. They're after the Maisal is all about getting the type of science-based approvals and uh, kind of disband those those myths if we can and really be fair about what farmers can use to produce. That's interesting. You brought up Mexico. Of course, we've been talking about that. Corn growers in America have been very concerned about some of the pronouncements mm -hmm. from the Mexican government about the corn they're going to allow to be imported. And you mentioned Maisal's not coming for that market, that these rules would impact Brazil and Argentina as well. Would that be correct? 100% uh, correct. And they're, they're no more capable of uh, meeting the needs of Mexico if they went 100% non-GMO next year. Brazil and Argentina couldn't fill that gap. We can't fill that gap. And they heard our president from Argentina, Federico Zamberni, tell when we were there in August in many, many meetings, he said, you can't come to us to get it. You can't go to Argentina and get it. You can't get it from the U.S. You need to understand that, that we all produce and use the same traits, so we're all going to give you the same corn. Other than Mexico, John, are there other places where you're seeing those sort of biotechnology restrictions uh, floating up right now? You know, you can't really talk about this without mentioning the EU, but the EU has been really good at uh, moving forward approvals, not as quick as we'd like, but they they keep pace and they really do a good job. But they, they really would like to change the way the world produces corn. And they have large influence. But Central America really is kind of a point, not, not huge in corn, but it's kind of a trickle-down effect. When you talk about the policy changes in the EU and Mexico, you know, Central America is kind of looking at, yeah, we, we probably ought to consider different practices as well. So that's an ongoing conversation. And it's, it's kind of reared its head here recently. It's really developing rapidly. All right. So well, we don't want it to go elsewhere. Right, right. This is a, a conversation you need to, to start early and get the scientific facts established. Absolutely. In all these cases, when we're talking about American production, we've got growers looking to grow more this year. We saw a big increase in planted acreage on that last WASDE report. We do have that record crop down in Brazil. Production continues to increase. Krista, let's talk a little bit about demand looking out. We heard about the livestock sector continues to be strong. What else or where else are potential demand sources for corn as you look out uh, over this year? Yeah, well, I think it's really important to remember, you know, so so looking at our projections for the upcoming 23-24 year, I guess, first, um, you know, uh, I mentioned that, uh, you know, we're back on track to have a record production. Um, USDA is currently projecting Brazil to be down a little bit in this next year, which really, um, when we look at the projected exports, puts us back on a level playing field. I think that we kind of have those years where we move ahead and, and maybe they move ahead and, and um, you know, we kind of stay neck and neck as we move forward potentially. Uh, but uh, when we think about exports, I think it's important to remember that 
you know, like in your last segment was addressed, uh, we, while we uh, want to focus on corn exports and that corn balance sheet in particular, uh, we also are exporting corn in the forms of uh, ethanol and DDGs and uh, livestock and meat products. And so it's important to keep those in mind. And so we're not only looking at what are the new markets for corn as a grain, but also what are the new markets or, um, you know, expandable markets for those other uh, types of products. That's a really good point. And I'm curious on the ethanol front specifically, we've seen a lot of interest at the federal level in ethanol here over the past couple of years. Is there still room for expansion in conventional conventional corn-based ethanol? Well, I mean, that's something our organization is working hard to try to uh, achieve. And I mean, as we look ahead at some of the targets for electric vehicles and we see motor gasoline use decline, I think it's really important that we you know, do see uh, higher blend rates of ethanol. That's something that we are advocating for. Uh, but, uh, you know, also that uh, when, if, if we're uh, with the focus on sustainability and, and environmental um, improvement, you know, that is that is something that we're growing right here and have the capacity to continue to produce. And we could be using more of it right now. Sustainable aviation fuel. Krista, we hear about this a lot. Do we have a timeline as to when SAF might be chewing up substantial vert, uh, uh, amounts of corn? Um, well, the Biden administration does have some targets. Um, one of those targets is to be using um, 3 billion gallons of sustainable aviation fuel by 2030, which would be about 11% of total sustainable aviation, or um, excuse me, total aviation uh, fuel use at that time. And by 2050 to have 100% of, um, you know, airlines using uh, aviation, sustainable aviation fuel. Um, but that doesn't necessarily uh, you know, the, as part of those targets, it's not corn specific. Of course, uh, NCGA is working very hard to, you know, figure out how corn fits into that and make corn a viable, um, corn is a viable feedstock stock, but to make it, uh, you know, available and, um, you know, look at those things like lowering our carbon intensity rating to make it uh, fit into that and make it the feedstock of choice uh, is what I should say. There you go. Have that low carbon intensity rating so that it makes sense to use corn yeah. for SAF. It will be fascinating to watch that industry develop out over the next couple of years. John, from Mazal's perspective, if we've got an audience member who's curious about what's happening down there in South America policy-wise, where can they go to learn more about the organization? You know, we're currently working up the website to really have that opportunity. We've really been trying to be very efficient with our funding so we can really manage our priorities. But we kind of overlook the fact that folks are interested. They want to know. So we really need to. That's part of my effort here with uh, the four other or three other. There's four U.S. directors. We've been talking about what, what do we need so people really know and understand what's going on and what it means to their farm to have us participate with two countries that are competitors in the market right they so, are but, but we're we all got a very line on these trades absolutely folks we've been talking with john linder current president of mazal and krista swanson lead economist with the national corn growers association thank you both so much for talking with us this morning and folks stay with us we'll have more aoa coming up from washington dc in just a moment Hi, this is Mike Pearson. You're listening to AOA, Agriculture of America. Don't go away. More AOA coming right up. Why do you listen? I like to hear about the weather and the stocks and the animal prices. It's good to know because I have a lot of customers who come in the store and that's what they ask. I want to stay informed. I want to know what's going on in my town. I also want to be entertained, whether it's sports or music or, you know, an update on the weather. I just want to stay informed while I'm on the go. Why do you listen? Go to whyilisten.com, tell us why you listen, and you have a chance to win $500. Visit whyilisten.com today. We have some exciting news to share. The National Corn Growers Association, along with AOA, are heading back to Washington, D.C. for the monthly grind. Tune in on Tuesday, July 18th for our special one-year anniversary episode. I'll be broadcasting live from Corn Congress in Washington, D.C., and we'll be reflecting on the year and what's ahead, along with current priorities of NCGA's Market Development Action Team. Make sure to listen to AOA on Tuesday, July 18th. It's a show you don't want to miss. You're listening to AOA for the American Ag Network. I'm Richard Risvet with this market update. 
Well, the Black Sea Grain Initiative ended yesterday and markets went sharply higher in the morning. However, they did turn lower quickly after and didn't seem to be too affected by the news going forward. However, the news came in today that Russia attacked one of the previously approved port areas. Russia claims it hit a fuel storage facility in Odessa, along with a manufacturing plant said to be making seaborne drones as a retaliation against the recent attack on the bridge that connects Crimea to Russia. Now, the bridge has been partially reopened, but Russia wants to make sure it stays open. That 12-mile bridge provides a critical link for providing military resources from Russia to its battles in southern Ukraine via Crimea. And as far as the initiative goes, Ukraine is already engaged in talks to reactivate it with Russia's participation. Ukraine is currently waiting to hear from Turkey and the United Nations to see if they will participate as well. Russia is already making comments about security risks of ships moving in and out of the port so close to a war zone, which appear to be targeted towards scaring shippers from participating. Ukraine has an insurance fund available to supplement coverage costs for shippers if they are willing to take the risk. Ukraine can also move roughly 2 million metric tons per month through the Danube ports, although that's still far short of the volume that it would like to move. Drought conditions in major crop-producing regions of China have largely been eliminated with recent rains, with remaining dry areas focused on northwestern portions of the country. A wetter-milder weather pattern over the past eight days provided relief for the crops to heal from earlier stress. Now, the forecast does call for a cooler weather pattern to continue over the next three days as well. There is an expectation that areas in northeast China will see heavy rains over the next 10 days. That will create some flooding risks for those regions. Furthermore, large areas of South China continue to suffer from extreme heat and wet conditions that risk damage to the early paddy rice crop in the region. You're listening to AOA for the American Ag Network. I'm Richard Ristvet. Vision loss is not something that you feel until it happens. Most people lose their vision from diseases like macular degeneration and glaucoma, not at birth. With macular degeneration, you lose your central vision. You have a blind spot right in the center of your face, so I can't actually see your face. So even that little circle in which I could see became a big blur. I was 65 when I first was diagnosed with glaucoma. There were no symptoms. I had no headaches. Three million Americans have glaucoma, and half don't even know it. 11 million people in the United States have macular degeneration. You lose mobility. Independence changes your entire life. So many eye disorders can be treated if caught early. My husband tells me that I have beautiful brown eyes, and I don't want to lose that. Make a plan today to get your eyes checked. Visit brightfocus.org to learn more. You're listening to AOA, Agriculture of America. This is Mike Pearson, and you can rely on us for the latest farm and ranch news from around the world. Information farmers and ranchers need to know. AOA. Now back to Mike Pearson. Thanks for joining us here for AOA. We are still live in downtown Washington, D.C., talking with our friends from Corn Congress here in D.C. We're joined now by two growers from across the country. We've got Janice Hiley from Indiana and John Del Monte from Monroe County, Michigan. John, tell us, how are crops looking across Michigan? Uh, they're pretty variable, actually. So um, uh, the whole state kind of started off dry. Um but recent rains um, in certain areas have, have really changed uh, the outlook and, and what the crop is looking like. So, um, you know, when you go from my part of the state in the southeast area, we've, we've gotten timely rains here recently. The crop looks great. There are still some areas that are struggling from, from, uh, from dry weather. And ironically, there are some areas now that have gotten too much rain, uh, especially as you move up into the thumb, which is not something we thought we'd be saying. So, no, when those droughts break, they can break hard, can't they? They certainly can. Um, but I think overall, um, while there there may be some uh, reduction in, in yield, you know, just from a, a rocky start, I think overall Michigan's got a, a good crop coming. Glad to hear Michigan corn growers looking well. Janice Hiley from Indiana. How are things looking across Indiana? And uh, coming from Indiana, uh, we started out opposite here. We started out wet in Indiana, uh, also very variable throughout the state of Indiana. 
now uh, our corn is just now starting to tassel in my area up in, in uh, the northern part of Indiana. But uh, so rough start. But right now uh, we've been getting some timely rains. All right. We've got that crop growing in the field. But I want to talk to you both about your service here to the National Corn Growers Association, your service to your state associations. Janice, you farm. You also work off the farm. You've got a full plate. What's the value for you in coming to meetings like this and giving up this time to be a part of NCGA or the Market Development Action Team? I wanted to get more involved. The simple answer was, uh, as you said, I work off farm as a an advisor in the ag community, and I wanted to get to be fully engaged. It was very important to me because not only when I'm in advising my clients, whether it's on cash sales or hedging, it's important for me to also be very aware of what's going out in the industry as far as policy and uh, trade, anything along those lines. Those are all important to uh, a farmer's bottom line. Janice, when you think about being engaged from your perspective as an Indiana grower, what are some issues you'd like to see growers be more engaged on? I be it can be from the simplest thing to input cost uh, all the way up to trade. Uh, I heard the figure yesterday that ninety five percent of the population lives outside of the United States. When a farmer, when you look at the big picture, it, it's really amazing that we are are feeding the world and. For them to be fully engaged with legislature at their state and national level when we're making decisions such as the upcoming farm bill, uh, when we're working on the Russia-Ukraine trade, what, be, be, keep yourself educated on those things. And if you don't know or you have a question... Be, be willing to ask. You know, Janice, those issues you brought up, the Ukraine-Russian war, the Mexican trade disruptions, all of these things, it, there's nothing you can do as one farmer in Indiana. You've got to come together to have a bigger voice when you're talking about these massive international issues. John, was it that sort of thing that motivated you to take a bigger role in the association as well? Uh, I think mine probably has a little more, uh, you know, personal ring to it. Um, you know, my wife and I, um, have three boys and three girls at home, and um, I didn't have the opportunity to walk into an operation, um, you know, that was a you know viable to make a living from. And so my goal, um, in a larger scope, is to protect and promote an industry that my children will have the if they choose will have the opportunity to come home and work in. And so I've done my part at home to hopefully build an operation for them to come back to. But in the larger sense, I also feel an obligation to protect an industry um, and to promote an industry that in, in the big picture allows for that to continue on, hopefully for generations to come. John, when you say protect the industry, that is a really interesting phrasing. I like the way you worded that. And when you uh, protect it from what? What is it that you think the, uh, the corn growers need to be aware of here in 2023? <clears throat> I think there were some some issues that, uh, that may have been brought up in the first segment that talked about, um, you know, protecting uh, our traits, our biotechnology. Um, I think that uh, when we talk about protecting, I think we've got to protect our markets to make sure that free trade is, is open, that trade is accessible. Um, I, I think, um, you know, basically to protect our right to farm, um, that, uh, that we don't have restrictions placed on us. Uh, I think when you step back and you look in a bigger sense, uh, the United States has the most sustainable, the most abundant, the safest food supply in the world. And it's it's hard to wrap your head around the idea that we're going to drastically change that farming system to look different than what it is today when we have already accomplished that goal. So maybe protecting isn't so much about a specific issue, but it's protecting our way of life, our industry as a whole from becoming something that we don't want to be. Because right now, we're on top. That makes sense. We've got a set of ground rules that benefit everybody in the industry as long as we all play by them, and those rules need to be defended, you believe? Absolutely. 
That's fantastic. I'd like to bring the topic back. Janice, you've been serving here at the national level. You're also still very active with Indiana and the Indiana Corn Marketing Commission, our council rather. What is it, or what have you brought back to the state level organization from the national level? Have you seen the, the information flow back down as well? Uh, absolutely. Yes, I, I think it goes, information flows both ways. And I, I feel it's very beneficial. Um, there are things uh, that I know are important to us at the uh, state level that uh, we want to, yeah, it's like a grassroots, you know, and it's very important that we, what's important in Indiana might not be important in Colorado as much or Missouri, uh, so that we have a voice at the uh, national level is is an so important for me to be involved. Um, and I can only, you know, being involved at the state level gives me an opportunity then uh, for my voice to be heard at the national level. Absolutely. John, as you think about the the issues that we're here, we're protecting, we're preserving our industry, but we're also looking ahead. And there are some really neat things happening in the world of corn production and corn demand. As you think of some of the issues you've discussed on the MDAT team over this past year, what are some that have you excited for the future? I think the one that uh, is kind of top on my list, um, and I, I don't know that I'm speaking for the team, so I'll speak for myself, but um, but it's certainly a focus, is uh, sustainable aviation fuel. Um, there is a massive market in uh, Jet A fuel, and uh, you know we, we, we tend to, to sometimes think about who our competition is and think about, oh, well, you, know, um, you know, we have all these other crops and all these other methods to, to get there. But the reality is, is we have a viable ethanol industry that can get us there. And um, I think it's important that, uh, that we recognize that and recognize the demand that's coming from the industry, from the airline industry for that product. Um, so that, for me, is probably the thing that I look at when I, when I go to talk to other growers and say, well, how are we going to get rid of corn? Um, how are we going to move corn? That's going to be a big way that we could move corn. The scale of the demand for sustainable it's aviation huge. fuel could be massive. Huge. That's yeah. fun. Janice, what about you? What are there any any interesting things in the world of corn that have you excited as you look out to the future? A uh, couple things I would uh, like to bring up, I guess, at the state level, uh, we've been doing a lot of work on the grain bin entrapment. Um, so that has just been a wonderful uh, program I've had the opportunity to work on in making sure that farmers are protected and that our volunteer firemen are trained to help keep them protected. Um, at the national level, I guess I would just like to reassure your listeners that on the GMO issue with Mexico, uh, this MDAT team, we, we spent a lot of time uh, discussing this topic and whether it's with our partners at Maisal or uh, our other partners in the industry to make sure uh, that we, as in as not just Indiana corn farmers, but at a national level, that we can continue to keep that relationship with Mexico, that we can continue to export our grain there and to make sure there is not a concern when it comes to the GMO and that we here in the U.S. are really good at what we do. Absolutely. I know we have been talking with the MDAT team about this issue in Mexico for the better part of the past year. And as the action team has gotten more engaged, we've seen Mexico back off some of their hardline stances. So it sounds as though it's working. We'll continue to push that effort here into this next year. Folks, we have been talking with Janice Hiley of the Indiana Corn Marketing Council, corn soybean grower from Indiana. Janice, thanks for joining us today. And we've also had been speaking with John Delmati of Monroe County, Michigan. John, thanks for joining us and have fun on the MDAT team thanks. this year. Thanks for having us. And folks, stick around. We'll dig into some of those policy concerns with Brooke Appleton, the Vice President of Public Policy for the National Corn Growers Association, right here when AOA returns. Hi, this is Mike Pearson. You're listening to AOA, Agriculture of America. Don't go away. More AOA coming right up. Nothing offers an opportunity to bond and give thanks quite like breaking bread together. This is especially true as we welcome our troops back home and keep those who are still stationed overseas in our hearts. Hi, I'm Gary Sinise. 
Since 2011, the Gary Sinise Foundation's Serving Heroes program has shown gratitude to our nation's defenders and their families by serving up nearly 500,000 hearty classic American meals at travel hubs and military locations. And now, together with our friends at Bob Evans Farms and their Our Farm Salutes program, we will help to provide even more meals nationwide, offering our defenders a taste of home and a feeling of togetherness around the table. Help us show America's gratitude through food and fellowship. Look for the Bob Evans Our Farm Salutes purple packaging at your grocery store and visit ourfarmsalutes.com to learn more. While we can never do enough to support the men and women who serve, together we can make a difference bite by bite. Take a look under your bed. Find stuff under there? What about jobs? No? Now try your basement. There's a pair of overalls that overall you're not so into anymore. A perfectly good laptop that hasn't sat in your lap in months. And even more stuff, but still no jobs? Well, you really have both. See, stuff is defined as household articles considered as a group. Sometimes this stuff is no longer needed. Wait, no longer needed? That can't be right. Because remember those jobs you were looking for? Those are really needed, and they're the stuff inside your stuff. Even inside that winter coat that moved with you to Phoenix. Our job is to unlock those jobs, and it starts when you donate your stuff to your local Goodwill. Here's how we do it. When you donate to Goodwill, we sell your stuff to provide job training for people right here in your community. So just by teaming up with Goodwill, you help create jobs. And isn't that worth parting with the leftover guitar from your 80s cover band? Goodwill. Donate stuff, create jobs. Find your nearest donation center at goodwill.org. A message from Goodwill and the Ad Council. This is Around the Table, where we explore the benefits of cooperative ownership. This week, we're talking with Joe Lardy, research analyst with CHS Hedging, about the recent USDA acreage report. Joe, what was the biggest surprise from the acreage report and why? I think the biggest takeaway, the biggest surprise, I guess, would be the miss on the soybean acre number. It was so far out of range. And now we got to really kind of go back and look at all the factors that went into that. And then, of course, the implications of a much much smaller acreage number really will have impacts not only for this marketing year, but certainly into next marketing year as well. Farmers put a lot more corn and a lot fewer beans in the ground than initial trade guesses had pegged. What do you think drove those decisions? I think in this country, we really like to plant corn and the weather was favorable. So we got the corn in, you know, it wasn't an all-time record fast pace on the corn, but it was early enough where when we've seen years that the window is open to plant on the earlier side, when we've seen good fertilizer application, and then we also just some modeling that we do in-house and looking at some economics from more of an agronomic standpoint, it really did lean things more towards the corn side. Joe, what's the takeaway from this latest acre report for the farmer. Expect to continue to see volatility and continue to look ahead towards those reports as days that could really help or really hurt somebody's outlook in their position and their profitability. So it's always a good idea to have your marketing plan ready to go and to be able to capture those opportunities when they happen and also to be able to protect yourself from big surprises that might move the market in a direction that you didn't want it to move. That's Joe Lardy, research analyst with CHS Hedging. Joe, thanks for joining us this week. You bet. Thanks for having me on. And thank you for joining us here around the table. Learn more about the benefits of cooperative ownership at cooperativeownership.com. Young farmers don't listen to the radio, right? Wrong. In a recent survey, 74% of young producers said they get their most important agricultural information from their trusted farm radio station. Surprised? Don't be. If you think about it, it makes perfect sense. Radio is the perfect companion because it goes with you everywhere. Whether you're in the shop, on the combine, or in the truck, Farm Radio is right there with you. This message brought to you by the National Association of Farm Broadcasting. Ma, is this how you feed a hamster? Uh, I think so. Is my homework right? Hmm, I think so. Is uh, this milk still good? Uh, I think so. When it comes to parenting, sometimes it's okay to think you know. But when it's something as important as your child's car seat, don't just think. No. Double-check if your child is in the right seat for their age and size. It'll help protect them in a car crash. Don't just think. No. By visiting NHTSA.gov slash the right seat. A message from NHTSA and the Ad Council. This is Mike Pearson. Thanks for listening to Agriculture of America. Join me Monday through Friday for the latest farm and agriculture news from around the world.
Information farmers and ranchers need to know. AOA. Now back to Mike Pearson. Welcome back, ladies and gentlemen. AOA continues, and you guessed it. We are still here in Washington, D.C., just a stone's throw from the Capitol, talking in this next segment, policy. Brooke Appleton, the vice president of public policy here with the National Corn Growers Association, joins us for Corn Congress. Brooke, we've got corn growers from across the country heading to Capitol Hill tomorrow. What are the top three things on their minds? Sure. Thanks so much, Mike, for having me this morning. And good morning, everyone. So yeah, this is our big annual fly-in here in Washington, D.C. We call it Corn Congress Week. Um, It is a full week, but on Wednesday, everyone will head up to the Hill and have various uh, meetings with their members of Congress. We also do um, uh, something a little different than other associations. We do what we call non-affiliated corn state visits. So we send folks to offices that we don't necessarily have a corn association and or a a state corn checkoff in um, to talk about our issues tend to be kind of those coastal states, if you will. Um, and we have done that for years. Uh, that's not something new. And it but it always kind of broadens the horizon, not only for our farmers and, and kind of talking to members outside of the typical Corn Belt, but also helps, you know, educate uh, members on those kind of coasts, if you will, about our issues. So it's right. been, it's proven to be a good, uh, good use of time over the years. Absolutely. I mean, they're going to be voting when sure. Congress votes. Sure. It's yeah. good to have them on the team. So yeah. you're not talking to them. We've got a farm bill year. We've got mm-hmm. Mexico. What else is on the mind of corn growers? Yeah, those are the two big issues. I would say, um, you know, farm bills on everyone's mind. We call it a farm bill year. Um, we all know the bill expires here at the end of September. We also know that there's a lot of work still to be done. Um, so I think the point of our visits this week is just to kind of highlight some of those uh, um, priorities for the corn growers. You know, always top of mind is protecting federal crop insurance. We also talk a lot about strengthening that producer safety net and the title one of the bill. Um, we, we also fully support you know, more funding for those international market development efforts in the MAP and F&D programs. Um, we also support voluntary conservation programs, which is very important. Title II um, is very important to the corn growers. And I will say all of those um, programs are oversubscribed and uh, our growers use kind of all of them, depending on kind of where you are in the country. So it's always important. And then it's just Farm Bill is just a good opportunity to kind of champion and talk about um, initiatives that are important to rural America. Yeah, like what would be an example of one of those? You think about rural development, research, rural broadband, things that are also kind of included in the Farm Bill, but maybe don't get as much attention as some of the bigger pieces. So just kind of always good to talk about those and let uh, our growers kind of tell their personal story about why those are important to them and their operations as they're doing these meetings. We all live in rural America. We've got to keep it healthy as well. Brooke, we've talked Mexico several Mm -hmm. times on today's episode so far. Clearly, the concerns that Mexico has over GMO U.S. corn resonate with the crowd here for Corn Congress. Can you give us an update? How do things look as we get to January 1st, 2024? What's going to be able to ship into Mexico? Well, I think, first of all, we're deeply appreciative of USTR for requesting a dispute settlement consultation with Mexico. Um, You know, that is kind of the next step towards resolving the ban on biotech corn used for human consumption that Mexico keeps talking about. So we're really appreciative. We're working closely with USTR kind of on next steps and how that looks. Um, You know, I I think we bottom line for us and really we don't want to take anything less is just full removal of the decree. Um, You know, there's been various uh, they've they've put out different versions. And uh, I I think it's safe to say that we don't like any of them. (laughs) Uh, We just want uh, corn to to flow freely into Mexico as it has for all of these years. They've always been our number one trading partner or always at least in the top in the top tier of that and we just want to continue to to secure that market for our growers so it's very much top of mind very much a concern um, but we feel like we're moving in the right direction and uh, continuing to secure that market Brooke, you mentioned Mexico's proposed several different versions mm-hmm. of this rule beginning next year. Each one seems to be getting a little less strict than the one before. <laughs> Does that mean the messaging is sinking in? Um, you know, I, I would I would say possibly. Uh, I, I think that there there is definitely folks who understand kind of um, what these decrees would do for that relationship between between the two countries. And, and you know, they have their own politics just as we do, and I don't pretend to understand them as well. Um, but, you know, they're kind of trying to work through um, what they can. And I do think we have good advocates. We have good folks in, in Mexico who, who understand what we're trying to do here. And uh, I do think we'll get to a good place. Um, it just, it unfortunately takes time. And I think that's what we're trying to make sure we set those expectations early. Well, that's what it's all about. And I know NCGA has been very big on setting expectations expectations for E15 year round in this country. We've got it for this summer, but do we have it permanently yet, Brooke? 
Uh, yeah, very big and timely discussion this week on that. We're hoping to see some movement very soon on on possibly uh, more legislation that would be um, introduced uh, to support E15 year round. We realize we aren't the only uh, people part of this discussion. You know, there's an entire kind of liquid fuel supply chain that is affected by what that may or may not look like. So it is uh, more than just having a conversation with us and in, in and in a Senate or a house office, we've got to kind of broaden that scope and, and get something that everybody can agree to and, and, and live with eventually. So I would like to think we are much closer than we were even a few weeks ago. Um, but there's still, there's still some hurdles there and we still need to, you know, something we're definitely going to need to talk about with our, with our members of Congress tomorrow. Could E15 year round legislation <clears throat> be included in the farm bill or would it likely be a separate bill next generation fuels act, for example? I think we would like to keep it separate. I think a farm bill is difficult in and itself. Uh, I don't know that we need to complicate it further by throwing ethanol in that mix. Uh, I don't think that was that would be anything that NCGA would be asking for. Um, also, I mean, obviously, two very important topics, two important issues, um, and and I, I'd like to think that we can we can we will do them separately. <laughs> Brooke, you mentioned farm bill expires end of September 2023. Uh -huh. We're in July, nearly August 2023. Are we going to get a farm bill or should we plan for an extension? Um, you know, I think that I think that the committees are working really hard to get to a good place. Um, you know, I don't um I think that, uh, you know, we will, uh, we'll see kind of what happens. You know, they're going to go on a bit of a recess here, but that doesn't mean the work stops. Staff will definitely still be in town. They'll still be working through their timelines to get us to a good place by, by September. If, you know, if, if the timeline shifts and it's end of the year, you know, uh, that's okay too, right? We, we know that the challenges that, that present and the calendar kind of works against us. Summer is always crazy busy legislatively, so we know they're working. They're they're working under a lot of pressure. Um, but we're appreciative of that. We're we're going to continue to push. We're hoping for it sooner rather than later. But we all kind of understand the 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 challenges here when it comes to um, getting Politics. something done. Yeah, yeah, it yeah. is <laughs> what it is, folks. We've been talking with Brooke Appleton, Vice President of Public Policy here for the National Corn Growers Association. Thank you all for joining us here in Washington for this Corn Congress visit. Stay tuned tomorrow for more. This is Mike Pearson. Thanks for listening to Agriculture of America. Join me Monday through Friday for the latest farm and agriculture news from around the world. Join us every Tuesday for Around the Table, brought to you by CHS, as we discuss how cooperatives support farmers and ranchers and build strong communities. Each week, we'll chat with voices from across the cooperative system. From global market access to local expertise, we'll explore how co-op ownership means you own a world of opportunities. Tune in on Tuesdays or visit cooperativeownership.com to learn more. We have some exciting news to share. The National Corn Growers Association, along with AOA, are heading back to Washington, D.C. for the monthly grind. Tune in on Tuesday, July 18th for our special one-year anniversary episode. I'll be broadcasting live from Corn Congress in Washington, D.C., and we'll be reflecting on the year and what's ahead, along with current priorities of NCGA's Market Development Action Team. Make sure to listen to AOA on Tuesday, July 18th. It's a show you don't want to miss. What do Mick Jagger, Barbara Walters, and Star Jones all have in common? They've all suffered from something called heart valve disease. Heart valve disease affects 11 million Americans, and if left untreated, can lead to death. Unfortunately, less than one in four Americans have much knowledge of this disease that kills more than 25,000 people every year. The good news is that if heart valve disease is treated, patients can recover and live long, happy, and productive lives. But in order to treat heart valve disease, you need to know if you have it. If you or your loved ones are over the age of 65, have been treated with radiation to the chest, have been diagnosed with a heart murmur, or have a history of heart disease, it's time to listen to your heart. Ask your doctor today about screening for heart valve disease. A message brought to you by Heart Valve Voice U.S. For more information about the symptoms and treatment for valve disease, go to heartvalvevoice-us.org.